Welcome to Four Quarters, episode 11. I'm your host, Ray, Sweet Baby Ray, on many of the online platforms. With me is my favorite producer, the guy that stirs the drink, Jarrett. What's going on? Not much. Are you sure it's 11 or do we need to do a third take? Uh, you know, it might be 12. It might be 12. It might be 13. Maybe we've been here for years, decades at this, just, just grinding it out. And I just feels like it was just yesterday that we started. You know, Who Ray knows? just can't get over this euphoria right now after his Ravens fall out last night. I, you know, I mean, if this is going to be a bit, I, I think that's fine. Uh, you know, as long as the Ravens are doing well, I'm happy to talk about them. <laughs> but and we don't have to. <laughs> that's enough Ravens talk. Let's. That's for another podcast. Uh, that chiming in on my home state of Maryland is uh, Peter Bucketsense eighty eight. How you doing? Doing good. Excited to talk hoops as always. Cool, cool, cool. And our guest for this week, the illustrious fellow DNBA steps loser, Big Dole. What's going on, buddy? Oh man, I cannot believe the intro. It was fantastic. I love to hear. I almost, I almost won. It's all right, but it is okay. what it is. <laughs> I did win two summers ago. I just want to make very that very impressed. Very <laughs> impressed. Did, did you get a plaque for that? I got a shirt. I got the shirt. Oh. This was uh this was. Do you remember the cooler? I was. I wanted to go for that, but oh, I, I do got. remember the cooler. Whatever happened I, to that cooler? Someone did won. Somebody it. win that? Yeah, somebody won it. <sighs> I was so I was so upset. I could use a cooler. <laughs> Anyway, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about COVID and Kyrie Irving. You know him, you love him. Some people love to hate him. We're going to be talking about our personal takeaways from the preseason so far. We're three games in. And we've got a little uh, Lakers discussion. Uh, but before any of that, Big Doll, a.k.a. Logan. How are you? So you're a Nuggets fan. We're all Nuggets fans here. How'd you get here? Yeah, man. Um, I remember back when I was younger, you know, uh, my parents, you know, or I guess my dad mostly just say, you know, hey, you got to you got to pick a team or whatever. So, um, you know, this is more so towards, you know, football and things. You know, I, I was a, my parents were Vikings fans and I didn't really want to be a Vikings fan. You know, they, they weren't very good um, at all. This is the season right before they drafted uh, Adrian Peterson. And I think they were like two and 14 terrible. So I, I had mm. picked a new team halfway through the season and it was the Broncos. Um, and I was a big Broncos fan. And at the same time, you know, they also had this young up and coming basketball team too with the Nuggets. So I almost had just adopted uh, both the Nuggets and the Broncos at the same time. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, as, as living in North Dakota, it's like super uh, challenging to watch the games, especially, you know, when the Nuggets are only playing the Wolves a couple times a year and mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, watching, uh, you know, them on national television, you know, it's, not very common of them to usually get the national televised games, obviously. So, I mean, especially uh, back then. Oh, absolutely. You know, and league pass was definitely not a thing back then either, you know, and, you know, and it's, it's extremely tough. So, you know, like I'm checking the newspaper every morning to look at box scores and checking, you know, like how many did Iverson have, you know, how many did, uh, you know, Anthony or Kmart, you know, or, uh, even Marcus Camby for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, as kind of what I did as a, as a kid, you know, growing up, I used to always do that. Um, I remember finally they were really getting some national recognition, you know, a lot in 2009. And uh, especially when they're making their playoff run, I think one of the best moments I remember uh, uh, from being a Nuggets fan, uh, 
you know, they always played the Lakers uh, late, late, late at night. And uh, mm-hmm. especially in West my time. Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starting at like 9 o'clock my time. And, you know, I'm like 12 years old at the time when uh, they're facing uh, Kobe and the Lakers in, in the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, my parents told me, hey, you know, 10 o'clock is bedtime. So, you know, I'm watching about a quarter and a half on my television. And then I'm pulling up the game on my clock radio, sitting on my nightstand listening to the game. I remember. That's hey, dedication. Yeah, I remember game four uh, of the of the series. I think it was in Denver, and Chauncey Billups was going off. And I remember, I think it was Mike Breen had the call also over the radio too. Mm-hmm. And I, he was just saying like Mr. Big Shot and all, all that. And I just, I don't know, I just thought that was cool. Nice, nice. I love the seat of dedication. You know, I, I think radio is also like a really interesting avenue for consuming a sports especially now where so much of what we do is like we watch you know you watch on tv you watch on youtube watch on your phone so it's a nice little uh throwback i think you get a sort of i don't know about how you feel about this but i enjoy i think in terms of who's better at their craft on average radio announcers uh, a good amount more than than tv guys absolutely they got to be really creative when they're uh you know, hammering their one-liners. You know, baseball, is, I think, is an awesome sport for listening to something on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of detail to call, and as long as you can kind of continue to paint that picture, I think that is not only necessary, but it also creates just a little bit more of a active listening experience than, you know, sometimes you'll throw on ESPN and they're talking about cheesesteaks during a Philly game or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, Absolutely. No, it's nice. That's that's great to hear. It's great to hear, you know, every every origin story from Nuggets Nation. So, so what we want to get into today is, uh, you know, it's preseason, three games in. Uh, I'll start with you, Dole. Just keep it rolling. How are you feeling? Pretty good. Feeling pretty good. A little thirsty, but pretty good. Three losses in? You're, you're, you're still good? Well, you know, I think the guys are a little, uh, I think they're a little, uh, you know, just not worried about trying to win right now. I think they're more worried about, you know, how is this going to work? What if we're going to, what if we run this, you know, what if we run that, you know, just experimenting even like, like our first unit is experimenting with like the Michael Porter pick and roll and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get bones in there and they're trying to do all kinds of different stuff with Aaron Gordon taking the ball off the court. I'm just thinking like, you know, like they're just trying stuff out. You know, this is something that they're probably going to run later this year, you know, doesn't always go as smooth the first couple of times. So, I mean, I, I don't really blame them for it. I mean, they're just running stuff that, you know, that's new to them, you know. And if they really wanted to just pick and roll these guys to death with Jokic and whoever, I mean, they could and just win the game. But, I mean, right now they're all about learning. And I think Michael Mullen looks past that a little bit. So, especially that's with fair. his comments so far. Yeah, uh, hey, hey, Ray, I, I wanted to back up just a sec. Uh, sure. Dole, you said that you um, – you don't, you only get to watch the Nuggets in person when they come to Minnesota because that's where you're close to. So you're probably pretty familiar with this era and, you know, uh, how it was a slow build, slow burn, slow come up. Uh, so I want to ask you, what do you remember about the game 82 in Minnesota the year that the Nuggets went to overtime and just missed oh, the playoffs? Oh, oh man. man. I remember uh, this was like – time where I was just having to fight like all of my friends like not all my friends are Wolves fans but quite a few of them and you know we would just be going off back and forth to each other you know who's better Cat or Yoke but Cat or Yoke and 
and it was always back and forth. Clearly, we know he's better now, but but back in the moment, um, you know, I think it was really important to me that the Nuggets won. You know, I, I felt like I think I felt like like I think like the, the the Nuggets really were building something from from where they were at. Uh, I think that the Wolves too had something good to come like coming soon. But I was thinking like you know this is the Nuggets here or whatever. Naturally, I, I bet a couple couple of my friends that uh, that the Nuggets would win Game 82. Um, I lost that bet. I only bet on like twenty dollars, so I didn't lose a lot. But I guess that was kind of a lot to me back then. But um, man, I was so mad. I uh, I remember I, I kept telling them uh, that the Nuggets were going to go back to the finals and they were going to beat the Bucks. Uh, twenty twenty uh, Bucks Nuggets and uh, Nuggets in five. I'd always tell them. Look, I think I'm a couple I like years off. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was a really important game in this team's trajectory and history because I'll be honest, like going into that game, I thought we were going to get blown out. I mean, if you guys remember, that team had Cat and Jimmy Butler. And yeah, the, Nug- yeah. the Nuggets didn't back down. Like Jokic went toe-to-toe with Cat and Jimmy Butler in that game. You know, Jamal wasn't really Jamal yet. Uh Gary Harris was still healthy doing Gary Harris things, but mm-hmm. let's be real. He's not on those three players level. So the fact that the Nuggets got that game to overtime on the road and barely lost, as crushing as it was as a fan, I was like super optimistic going into that offseason. I was like, wow, that loss is really going to like sting these guys and propel them forward. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And they came in the next year into training camp super focused and made the playoffs easily. Yeah, and, and you know what else, too? Uh, I think it was maybe a week or two before they played game 82. They had played before, and I think that game was in Minnesota, and I think the Nuggets were up big in the fourth quarter. And then they blew it to Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler was just going off. He basically did yeah. the same thing to him. And that's kind of what really kind of like like sparked it between me and my friends because we knew like it was coming, like it was going to be inevitable. Like Those are the two teams that were going to be you know, like having to play in. And I think the Nuggets were – I think there must have been like a game back or something like that at that time too. And then they lost that game. Then they were two games back, but they fought their way back in. And then they ended up having that game 82, which was actually pretty impressive because they had to go through, I think like Oklahoma city that year too. And that was at Oklahoma city. So yeah, yeah if, I, if I remember correctly, that uh, Minnesota team, they should have been a higher seed, but Butler missed like a bunch of games. Yeah. Butler of injury. missed like six to seven weeks. Yeah, they were like the four seed. Actually, I think yeah, they were three, four. Like the first couple of weeks, they were the two seed, but they were sitting at the four or five for about all star break, and then they started to fall like big time. Right. So even though the national consensus was like, oh, this is just a playing game for the eight seed, like those teams were pretty talented. You know, the West has always been a bloodbath, but yeah, that, that game really helped the teams resolve going forward. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now that you mention it, I think a lot about that kind of set of games because leading up to that, didn't we win? We, <laughs> the Nuggets, I should say, won, must have been eight games in a row, seven games in a row yeah, going it was into like that. Six, seven, or eight games in a row to, no, to it, even it reminds, get to that point. Yep. And I, I'm pretty sure they beat the Bucks on a back to back one of those nights, too, or something like that in, in Milwaukee or something. It was something crazy. Maybe that was another year, but maybe that was this last year, actually. <laughs> I mean, the and Nuggets I remember can... being disappointed overall in the this team's record that season. But wasn't that wasn't that the first year Millsap was here and he hurt his wrist like halfway through the year and like didn't 
play half the year. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. we would have made the playoffs if, if he was healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that was the thing. And I, I think a lot about the Suns kind of run in the bubble where they had that sort of 8-0 stretch. And, yeah, they didn't go anywhere and they didn't do anything, but it developed a lot of it, – it showed them for an instant what victory, what competing, what being one of the best teams can feel like and that sort of confidence. And I think – Well, and it's also if, a – a total reminder that you can't just turn it on and off because you can win eight games in a row at the end. And it's this cool story, but you end up, you still go home. You got to yeah. do it for the full season. Yeah. You've got to put in the work. Uh, and I think the nuggets went on to put in the work. I think that that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up, Peter. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to four tracks slightly, Peter, do you have any, uh, you know, we're three games in, we're a little bit more removed from from that eight game run now to where, yeah, kind of to uh, Logan's point, we don't care so much about winning every single preseason game. Uh, yeah, no, I don't care about the winning. I really don't. I mean, I guess it's good for the players' confidence if they would have closed that game out the other night. But uh, there's there's two main things I, I've noticed. Um, one positive and one negative. Uh, I'll start positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bones Highland, he he continues to impress, right? I mean, this is pretty much a consensus amongst all Nuggets fans now is like, wow, this guy is good and exciting. Like, we don't get those kind of players very often, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like yeah. everybody that, you know, out that's not a Nuggets fan that doesn't like Jokic, they're like, oh, he's big and slow and goofy. So it's like, it's easy to make fun of him if if you only like hooper style of basketball well now we have a hooper so suck it rest of the NBA. <laughs> i mean i i do feel like the nuggets have a pattern or maybe a trend of yeah they've got you know a good number of you know your peter cornelis and your vlatkos and you know guys who they bring in who are kind of nondescript and not going to be the star player but you've also you know you've got Jokic, you've got porter you got bowl to bowl you know i think he kind of follows in their footsteps in a way of guys that are a little bit more electric than people might realize. Uh, but to that extent, that, that's a great point. I mean, it's really undeniable that, you know, Nashan <laughs> is uh, doing a great job in terms of garnering attention and showing that he can be a player, not only in this league, but that he can compete at a really high level, uh, that he has moxie, that he has heart, that he, despite, you know, not every guy comes into the league with the physical tools of, uh, you know, even even Michael Porter, you know, coming in the league, we knew he was 6'10". We knew he was always going to be able to get his shot off. I didn't expect him really to play this year at all. Right. Uh, for the reason that just he's, he's so slight. He's so... I mean, yeah, he has, he's so raw. Yeah, he has length, and yeah, he did these things in college. But, um, I mean, it's really impressive to me that he has shown – I mean, can I, share, can I share a take? I don't know if this – I don't know how many – Absolutely. I, I got one. I got one too, though, but go ahead. I think he has made – I'm sorry to certain countries I'm about to mention. He's made – Austin, I mean, Austin Rivers, I think, is kind of out. 
I mean, on the outside looking in on a, in a very clear way. But I think even, you know, looking at Faku, looking at uh, that sort of the depth of the guards and who's going to be that fourth or fifth guard. Uh, I think maybe even Monte in the way that, you know, they're providing different things. And yeah, we love Monte and what he provides, but, you know, I also think the team is going to look at his ceiling and maybe see that he can fill a role that's maybe a little bit more significant in the long run than a guy like Monte. I could see it. I mean, yeah, I'd say he probably does have a higher ceiling. Um, I'm not ready for the, like, who gets benched conversation yet. I mean, we haven't had one regular season game yet. So I I still think Malone's going to give the benefit of the doubt to his guys that he likes. I mean, he likes um, Faku, obviously, a ton. And I think he really respects what Austin did coming in so late at the end of last year, not really knowing the system and still helping us win a playoff series. Like, that's... How many how many guys do you sign on a 10-day, start in the playoffs, and you win that playoff series? Like, obviously, that's not a stat that would be easy to look up, but, like, that's pretty rare, I'm going to guess. Um, the thing I really noticed that popped to me about Bones, and I would love to see if you guys notice this too, the, the usual formula for a rookie in the NBA is to come mm-hmm. in and to, like, prove, oh, I'm good, I can do this. Like, like Michael Porter, right? That's how he plays. He's like, give me the ball, I'm going to score bones he much more to me seemed like he was just trying to be in the flow of the offense and like make the right play and the team was actually looking towards him the team was like let's get it to bones yeah we want you to shoot we want you to create like that doesn't happen with rookies this is true uh i mean i think did you get that sense at all yeah he's kind of a leader in a way that he I, I mean, wasn't his confidence. I always felt like he was he was a confident guy. You know, I think in he a is? room where you're looking at I mean Faku, he is also a he knows himself in a way that I think he's gonna be comfortable viewing Nishan as a almost like a weapon in his own toolkit, where a passing to him may be more effective than driving for a layup. Uh, and I think at the same time, you know, Austin, he did provide all the good that he did last season and going into the playoffs. He's had a rough time. Uh, I mean, and of course, this is just preseason and we can say, you know, he's a veteran guy and it may not matter in the long run, as you say, that you know, it brass tacks, Malone might just trust him a bit more. But, uh, you know, Bones just kind of inspires. So that's the best way I can put it. Yeah, I mean, it's a fluid situation, and, you know, he's got the whole season to, to figure it out and to get better. And obviously, you know, him being so young, like, Bones is going to keep getting better. It's like Austin pretty much already is who he is, you know. But it's just so exciting to me. I mean, we got we got so many good players on the team. Like, you know, so, Dole, I'll ask you, you know, we got – sometimes we get a Murray Flurry. Sometimes we get a, a Porter Quarter. Are we going to get some Bones zones this year? Bones zones. Okay, I like it. I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I definitely think that he's got like the streakiness to him a little bit, um, you know, where he can get super hot at any time, which is going to be really nice. You know, if, if they can get him going off, you know, just give him a half or even a quarter where he's just 
give him the ball eight minutes, goes at it, and then maybe he earns his way and he plays with the starters for, you know, however long, like, you know, five, six minutes, gives another guy like Monte a break. And I, I think saying that, too, if you start – or not start a rookie, but if you start him in your backup rotation, uh, you know, that gives you so many more options to, hey, maybe Faku is a little tired, PJ feeling a little fatigued, or like Monte – tired, feeling fatigued, whatever, that gives you the option to insert Austin Rivers or Faku, whoever's sitting on the bench, you know, easily rotate them in and you have all, like all kinds of depth. Keeps your guards fresh, especially Monte, because they're going to need him big time for a late season push this year. I actually think that's a really good angle that I don't think we've mentioned. I don't think I've heard a, a lot of people mention that even more than who it's kicking out of the rotation, it's more just you have more guards to play in the first place and you can actually, if you utilize all of them, which a lot of teams don't, but the nuggets have always like, as much as we complain about Malone, not playing guys, they've been pretty open, open to playing 11, 12 guys over the course of maybe not every single game, but over the course of like a week and spreading it out of it. And I think that's a really good point that I hadn't even considered is if it can keep your guys fresh over the course of the entire season, rather than just who's in and who's out. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially, you know, you're talking about Monte coming off of an injury. You're talking about uh, Faku. I think I love Faku playing a very, like, intense and uh, condensed stint of basketball where he can kind of go like all out. Time? No. I mean... I love Faku and Garbage No. Time. Yes. Uh, yes, Faku and Garbage <laughs> Time yes, is I'm great. Yes, I'm He... <laughs> The, the flashy passes are fun. The fun plays are lots of fun with Faku. If he makes A3, the crowd goes wild. We love it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, in a second quarter, maybe towards the end of a half, and you need some guy to uh, harass the opposing teams, you know, maybe Colin Sexton is a little too confident in his handle today. And, you know, you stick Faku on him. I think if you give him the rest to where he can be his fullest self, I think that's great. I think that's great for him. Um, so, yeah, it, it could improve the prospects of a lot of other players in the roster as well. I, I agree with that a lot. And it gives you well, a shooter. That well, you know what really use. helps Bones, though, from what we've mm-hmm. noticed so far in the preseason? Bones can play either guard spot, and he can pretty much play with either one of those guys, right? Like, Bones and Monte works. Bones yeah. and Faku kind of works. I don't know if we've seen Bones with Rivers, but that'd be pretty switchable too. So as even though he's slight, like Bones has that long wingspan. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're not going to ask him to guard like James Harden or somebody that's going to bully him. But I, I do think that, that that group can get by. Yeah, it, it always strikes me how long he is on the court in practice because he's so not in practice, but in like in reality, you know, because you see him listed at what is he, 6'1", 6'2"? Six, six, I, I think not. he's listed 6'2 or 6'3", one of those two. This is going to sound like a weird thing to say. He has a short neck and really long <laughs> arms. And I know that's that sounds strange, but I think, you know, the way he's listed, I would though he has the length, I think, of a guy who's 6'4". You know? Well, you think of, <laughs> like, like, Mason Plumlee is a 7-footer, but he definitely still feels like, with with his wingspan and the fact that a lot of it comes in the neck and it, it's not it's 
it is weird, but it's it's a worthy talking point. It Jared, really is. This is, this is amazing. I love how Ray isn't at the NBA Combine, but just like purely from the TV eye test, he's just gonna like analyze bodies. Oh yeah, it, it pops. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, but it's always popped for me. Uh, it's just just the the contrast of just how long his limbs are, and uh, yeah. Some this is are. an amazing take. You have to go on the DNBA show one one day and be like, you know what, Bones Highland. Short neck really helps me. It really does. I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't want to say it helps him, but it belies how his physical tools are not really detrimental. I mean, of course, his weight is what it is. But, yeah, in terms of his length, uh, absolutely. Um, some other little takeaway for me, I Look, I know you're going to think, Ray, you're going to talk about Bowl Bowl again. I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move a little bit. I know. I know. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. I'm not, I'm not moving on from Bowl. Trust me. I'm the biggest Bowl lever in Denver right now, I think. But um, Vlatko. Vlatko, I think he's kind of, you know, this is like a, a critical point, I think, for him and his career in terms of how, how much longer do you expect him to be? In Denver, you know, I think his contract runs out this year. And he's kind of shown that he is very dependable, like a very playable, dependable guy who, you know, I, I see, I see which is I see those reactions. I know this is a podcast. Peter's looking very incredulous right now. He's dependable. But hear to me suck. Out. He does not okay. This all right. Second opinion, third opinion. All right. Next time, next time Vlaco comes in the game. And then leave yeah. the game, and the Nuggets are have either increased their lead or cut the lead uh, shorter we, than what it was. You let me know. We'll take we'll take note of it. Yeah, uh, Dole, how how what is your what is your Vladko stock? Are you stonks up, stonks down? You know what? He had a great Olympics with Slovenia. I thought he played really well. He, I don't think the Nuggets are going to be the team that's going to unlock him though. I think like. Just like he needs to have the ball in his hands, I think, honestly, if, if he wants to kind of make plays. And clearly, I, I don't think that can be with the Nuggets, even with like these third stringers. You know, it seems kind of hard. Uh, you know, I, I, I really like Vladko when he's out on the wing there and he, he's either driving to the hole. And, you know, I for some reason now, he's got pretty good at driving to the hole and he can really make a, you know, like a 15 foot jumper. I mean, I don't know where it came from, but, I mean, it's looking pretty good. He's got a little floater, a little mid-range game. He's got a little bit of everything now. He just needs to work on the three a little bit more. Really, he is—he would be an NBA player if he did get a little bit of a better three player. I mean, he's a great, versatile player, very strong. I think that's a great take, Bolt, uh, Dole, because I think if you look at what he did in the Olympics and then you look at the way he's used in the NBA, I just think Malone uses him completely wrong, right? Like, to me – how would you describe his game? Like, how would I describe his game? To me, he's a homeless man's Boyan Bogdanovich. Like, he's a mm -hmm. slow, white, European stretch four, you know, that has some perimeter game. But we're using him like he's Kenneth Fareed. So mm -hmm. I don't know why why Malone thinks he can play the dunker spot. And, like, he just looks like he's lost every time he's on offense with us because he catches it and it's like he could make a play, but then if it doesn't go well, it's like – why are we running the offense through Blocko? So it's almost like one of those weird things where we have too many cooks in the kitchen. And yeah, he would pop more on a team. Like if he went to the Thunder, he could probably be like one of their better players. 
Or yeah, you probably you probably could definitely be on their bench. Their bench is basically Poku and it's just Poku actually. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all you need. Hey, I love I love me some Poku. I love some. Uh, I know some I love Lexi too. He's modern day modern day unicorn gang. So I just I just love guys that have absolutely no conscience like that. Like he takes the most ridiculous shots. He's like, yeah, I got this. Him, yeah, him and Bones Highlands next are like the exact opposite. <laughs> oh my god, neck corner. I gotta, I gotta look this up. I gotta uh, look. This Dole, up. actually, speaking of other teams, since you are someone who has and uses League Pass regularly, do you have a couple other teams that you're watching this preseason and you're kind of getting excited about and think you're gonna follow along? You know, obviously not as much as the Nuggets, but just who's who's interesting you so far? Dude, I love watching the Thunder. One of my buddies is a Thunder fan, and we both share a league pass together. And we watch. I like. We both watch each other's teams. Josh Giddy looked really, really slick against. I don't remember. Yeah, who I have to watch some Thunder games. I've I've heard good things about him. Yeah, he he looked really good. And then I think game two, they played the Bucks, and he he looked like a rookie that game. Obviously, he's he's starting for him at least right now. I mean, SGA looked pretty good both games. Thunder didn't play a whole lot. And then I, I pretty much just shut off after the first half. Like, I didn't watch any of their backups <laughs> really play. I mean, Poku looked pretty good. I didn't – like, if you told me to name one of those players on their bench, I could name Poku, and it's literally just Poku. Poku <laughs> or Bowl? Yeah. I So, me and him have a bet coming up. Whoever scores more points in the both back-to-back wins between Poku and Bowl. I think oh, Poku really? Are you concerned for your bet that Malone said he wants to use the, at least the first game as an actual tune-up game then? I'm hoping Bull goes for 26. <laughs> well, hope, like no, you, what you hope is the Nuggets blow them out so that the starters don't even play like in the third and fourth quarter. That too. I could hope for that. Speaking but, of blows, uh, no, that's, I haven't that's... seen Josh Giddy play yet, but one thing I definitely know about him is that he's Australian. and. If I know anything about Australian basketball players, it's that whenever they come to the NBA, they're guaranteed to do one of one thing well, and that's have a good basketball IQ. You know, I think I don't think they get enough credit for that. It's like anybody that comes over from Europe, it's like, oh, good basketball IQ. Well, we've seen the same things with guys guys from Australia. So I feel like everybody was puzzled when they made that pick because he wasn't really, uh, you know, slated to go top six. But I would be shocked if he ends up being a bust, right? Like maybe he doesn't become an all star. But, like, worst-case scenario, he's going to be, like, a Joe Ingles, Patty Levels-level player. Yeah, that I think sense. he's, like, really comparable to, like, uh, like his bare floor is probably, like, Ricky Rubio. And, I mean, Ricky Rubio still in the league. He's had a pretty good career out of it. But, I mean, yeah, so far his passes are pretty crazy. He does some crazy wraparound, throw it across the court, some weird stuff. It literally looks like a wizard out there uh, just making passes. It's it's crazy. Um, he doesn't have much of a three-point game right now. Uh, his mid-range game is solid. Um, he almost plays like his game right now. Like Minus his fancy passing. It's almost like Andre Miller. Like yeah. He just he kind of mm-hmm. plays like a little bit in the post. He's not like a huge guard either. I, I don't know what he is. He's 6'4", six, 6'3", six, or something. But He's listed yeah. at 6'8". Six, eight, really? He's pretty tall. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, I'm of the belief that, like, you don't have to draft a superstar with the number six pick. Like, Presti has always 
been like honest with the fan base of where they're at. And it's like, this is obviously going to be a long rebuild. So mm-hmm. as long as he ends up being good, that's okay. He can, he doesn't have to be like one of the stars of this team. He can just be like the connector piece, you know? And what you, if you want, uh, one thing good teams always have in common is that like their fourth and fifth best guys are just really smart, high IQ players. Right. So it's like, you already have Shea. You know, who we don't know what Poku's going to be yet, and we don't know what Giddy's going to be yet, but chances are the team will be bad again. They'll get another high draft pick, you know, and then you just you keep building from there. Yeah, and, and they definitely already have a defensive piece in, in uh, you know, Darius Baisley, and he's been really good. I like his game. Yeah, he, he, he's almost like a, a Jeremy Grant, like part two almost. That's, that's kind of how I think of him. And he's got a pretty good three-pointer, and, uh, you know, he's – going to be the 3 and D player that they'll probably rely to, just like Lou Dort. Lou Dort also looked unbelievable against the Bucs. He scored like 19 points in like 16 minutes. Yeah. yeah and he killed them. So, yeah, he's a good player. Yeah. Another really good player that would definitely make a max somewhere. Yeah, they're oh, definitely going to max back. one day guy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Really? I didn't know he got that much better. No, he's looking good. That's Damn. interesting. I have to keep my eye on that. Yeah. Four and a half peppers. I, I like it. I like it. Yep. Yeah. And I definitely think they're going about it the right way in terms of, you know, you'll see a lot of teams that are going to maybe even too early in the process try to inflate their win total by selling off assets and future picks and and they're, you know, they're really in a hurry to be good right now because they feel like they get their guy. I feel like you're talking about the New Orleans Pelicans, right? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I'm talking about the 76ers. <laughs> oh. Uh, but. The process Sixers? What? Yes. I, well, it, that, that's the funny thing. I think they had the process down. And, and uh, Sam Hinkie had an understanding of what it means to kind of take your time and sort of oh, right. not not overinflate your win totals to be honest about your, who you are and like how good your team actually is to the extent that you can continue to collect decent talent in the draft until you know the Colangelo thing and, and now they're like trade okay now we're trading for Jimmy Butler okay now we're trading for Tobias Harris okay now uh, Jimmy Butler left oh, okay now what do we do okay well we still got Ben Simmons okay that's fine and now it's you know I think they're they're continuing to kind of uh, accelerate their process in a way that they're going to shorten the window, which is kind of unfortunate to see for their fans. I mean, well, I'm not mad. Yeah, because they're but, they're speeding up their process to try to build around their franchise center who can't stay on the floor. Criticisms of Joel Embiid aside. <laughs> And about how he's no, not I think, as good I think as it's Jokic a fair aside. point in that argument, though, because it's going to, I mean, that's part of the luxury of Jokic is the way he plays. Everyone thinks like, oh, he doesn't he's sustain major injuries. Knock on wood. He always that's could. True. That always can happen to anyone. But I think I think that's a fair, one of the fair arguments I've heard for them kind of cashing in as quick as the 76ers have at times is with Embiid, you have no idea how long that window is going to be open. It could close. Like That's that. fair. But, yeah, I think you could look at other teams. I mean, um, New Orleans could be an option for that sort of perspective. But also, uh, I look at Dallas as a team that, you know, they've got, they kind of found their guy and now they're 
in a really big hurry to put together a championship contender. And I think that is understandable and you want to motivate your star player to stay and stick around and, and not be unhappy. But then you went and traded for Chris Tapps Porzingis for a lot of assets. And I mean, I understand the motivation. I think we all do here, but uh, what, how good is Chris Tapps really at this point? You know, that's actually a fascinating uh, transition period of their franchise in uh, NBA history. Uh, Dole, I want to ask you, when when you first found out a couple years ago the Mavs traded for Przingis, were you like, oh, shit, the Mavs have like a big two now because he's going to go to a team that knows what they're doing, unlike the Knicks, and he's going to be way better? Or were you just kind of like, eh, he's not that good, it won't matter? Yeah, I honestly thought he was going to be a lot better. And fr- frankly, I thought the year they went to the bubble, he did pretty – I mean, he did solid in the playoffs. But I think he averaged 28. I mean, he keeps getting hurt now. I mean, it, it's very unfortunate. I, I think that he's definitely kind of in his own head. He thinks he needs to be treated a certain way and get the same respect as Luca. And, and you know, I think that's really getting inside his head all that much, and it's making him not play very well. Um, you know, that might be – you know, something that really can ruin a player's career too, you know. I mean, I hope that's not the case. I, I hope he's, uh, you know, still working really hard and just trying to be the best player he can be and, you know, trying to be a good teammate and everything because that stuff all matters, you know. Ray, can I give you a conspiracy theory? Sure. Okay. Chris Tapps Porzingis, manly soft. you know why? Poisoned by Carmelo. <laughs> you could say it's Carmelo. You could also say it's New York. Mm, the, I guess. The, the Knicks are going to Nick. Carmelo you know? was the leader of the team when he got there. Well, actually, yeah. also to speak on that mindset, um, anyone can answer this. I'll go I'll go to Dole first. Do you think the Nuggets have been lucky in that regards, that they've so far kind of avoided that that mentality of of fighting for your own respect on your team and – not playing for each other, or do you think that's a that's something that Malone has built or Connolly has identified when picking guys, or a combination of all that? Because I, I personally, I think there is some identification of those type of players, and and Malone can build that culture. But there, I still think there's a pretty decent amount of luck involved in the fact that the Nuggets have gone so far without getting too absorbed into that. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I I don't think it was Tim Connolly. I mean. I think he got kind of a little bit lucky, um, you know, but I always think of players like Malik Beasley, like he just got in huge trouble with the Wolves. I mean, he, he just got out of jail, like at the beginning of August. So, I forgot about that one. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I don't think Malone, I, I think Malone kind of looks into the character now. I think that's something he looks into a little bit more. Um, I, I, I know, I think he's trying to, you know, talk to these guys and just see how they are and, how humble they are. And I think that's kind of one thing that he takes into, uh, into account about, you know, how he's building a team, you know, and they're building a humble team is what I think, you know, but they still have that energy to, or that still that drive to be, want to be the best. Um, and, 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 you know, moving on to it, you know, I think Malone, you think of Malone, you know, he sets the expectations high and he's great friends with all the guys and, and that's important. But I think the most important piece of how this team culture was, you know, became it's, what it is now is Jokic. I mean, he's he's uh, uh, one of those guys who he doesn't really care about his social status. I mean, he'll go sh- 
shoot on the side of the hoop, doesn't have social media, you know, let the rookies just – doesn't really haze him. I mean, he makes it a Denver, you know, a place where our players want to be. Um, you know, he's a great guy, and, you know, he's always messing around with the guys in the locker room. You know, always, you always hear about it. So I think Jokic is, uh, you know, one of those leaders, you know, that sets a really good example, you know, and other people take after it, you know. Yeah, Jared, I think uh, to answer your question, I would definitely say combination. You know, I think Conley's right. even admitted, like, he was lucky. He's like, yeah, we didn't think it would be this. But uh, if I did have to pick one, I would say top-down. Because if you remember the Nurkic situation, as soon as he was benched, he started pouting and complaining. And what happened, they got rid of him ASAP. And I know Ray has repeatedly, uh, you know, <laughs> scolded that trade, but... Sometimes it. when a cost is sunk, you got to abandon ship and let the ship sink. And he saved it and he got Mason Plumley out of it. Yeah, not ideal to give away the first, but he was going to poison that locker room. And how many playoff series have the Blazers won since he's been there? So that's fair. Um, I would consider, I, I still consider it like if you're taking a test and you have 20 questions, and you get two of them wrong, you still get an A. You know? You said um, that so much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> I I do believe that, you know, I still believe that you could have traded him in a way that you didn't have to give up a first, but, <laughs> you know, that's one of those two questions. You, you can get wrong and still get an A. Uh, and I think we're doing fine. And, you know, obviously, Jokic is important and critical to the way he, you know, approaches, honestly, life and how, you know, his personality and his unselfishness. But also, yeah, Tim Connolly has done a great job in terms of assembling enough talent where you can afford to make maybe uh, you can afford to lose a trade here or there because you've got, you, you know, we traded him when we had. We had Malik Beasley and we had other guys who were like, oh, you know, we've still got XYZ players uh, to where it's not a huge deal. And we had a coach who's willing to continue to do the right things and say the right things and be positive, but also firm in demanding excellence from his players. So, so absolutely, you know, all, all those things have factored in to, to make a, a great environment to be in Denver. Circle back around to the Mavs. Uh, how how much do you guys like buy when when teams say things like, oh well, you know this was the problem, so now this is this is our solution, and everything's gonna be fine now. Like, do you guys buy that Porzingis is now gonna be unlocked because they have Jason Kidd? Because I'm still pretty skeptical. I think there's a way to unlock Chris Tapp's Porzingis, and. It's trading him to the Cavs for Kevin. <laughs> I honestly think he just needs to go to a place where there's no pressure, where he doesn't need to be, he, he doesn't have to be everything to his team in the way that he does in Dallas. Not that he is everything to that team, but he is being asked to be this counterpart to, you know, one of the best players in the league. And you know, it, do you it's put any of it on Luca? Obviously, like how he plays has an impact, and I, 
it's hard to blame Luca to say that it's like, oh, this is on you that he's not doing well. But at the same time, I think the fit is not necessarily ideal when you're talking about uh, in the same way that if he was next to James Harden or Ben Simmons or something like that, or like you know if you if it's another guy who needs the ball in his hands and you're talking about a seven footer with ball skills who you can put the ball in his hands in theory and uh, he has the shooting touch and all these things. I mean, unless you're just looking to like put him in a corner and ask him to spray. Yes, you can do that, but he's making a lot of money to be someone who's doing that. And, and I didn't think that is always going to be a really awkward scenario. So, so the reason I say that is like Kevin Love is a guy who I think knows who he is, who is able to come in and I think he can rebound, he can pass, he can shoot. And that's, is Kenny? Is he still good? I think he is. I, I think... Uh, yeah, his point guard play has been off the last few years. I think if he was in a situation where he was playing for something, as opposed to, like I said, being in Cleveland where there's no expectations and no pressure and no really, why does he need to be good? You know, if I'm if I'm Kevin Love, I'm like, why why do I need to be? No one's watching. Who <laughs> why have do you I need watched? to earn my thirty million dollars a year? He already earned it. They won a championship. That was him <laughs> earning it. Oh, it's all back pay. It's all back pay. It's all back pay. I mean, that was he was the only one willing to stay. You yeah. know, and. Uh, so I think you swap those, those two, and Chris Stapps is now in a situation where he can kind of become – it's a leadership opportunity for him where he can kind of mentor some younger guys in the league, some guys, especially because they kind of have a glut of talented guards who he can kind of play off of, uh, hopefully, but at the same time still be more of a focal point offensively in a situation where, again, no one cares how good he is going to be. At least this year and probably next year and probably the year after that. Uh, so I think it would kind of be a win-win. That's just my opinion. But uh, and, and you can't you can only trade guys who make that much money for guys right. who make that much money. So yeah, no, like, I don't hate that trade at all. It would be a really tough break for Chris Stapp's social life. I mean, going from New York to Dallas <laughs> and then to Cleveland, like the quality in strip clubs just goes way down. You're right. I mean, I wouldn't know, but uh, you're right. <laughs> Uh, that, that's funny. Well, the the only other guy I wanted to kind of touch on before we move on, PJ Dozier. You know, uh, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about PJ as a guy who can. Uh, I'd like to see him start. Uh, Over who? Have, uh, Monte. Think about it. You got you got great. I mean. Will Barton can kind of perform as a facsimile for Jamal Murray. PJ plays point guard. I know he's played power forward and small forward and, you know, center, I feel like, almost uh, over the last couple of years. But I think he has the ball skills to be kind of a secondary playmaker, a setup guy. I think with the starters, he understands, you know, and, and he's shown that so far that he understands that he's not going to be the center of everything. So I, I'm increasingly bullish on the idea of him starting. All right. Uh, so the problem the, is, you guys, I okay, love that lineup. Ahead. I love that yeah. lineup as an idea, and I love that as a closing lineup. The problem with that lineup is you can't start it because now you're bringing Bones, Faku, Rivers, 
and Monte off the bench, those guys can't play together. You have to bring PJ as the backup three. Who's your backup three if you're starting Dozier? Oh, you're saying move. Oh, because you're still starting Will. Yes. I I personally. You're benching uh, people in this situation, aren't you? I might be. Uh, and Dole, maybe you can chime in after after I wrap this up. But um, I kind of feel I'm of the mind that like you pick your best lineup, you pick your starters first, and then you figure out the other things later. Mm. Uh, in terms of backup three, I wouldn't mind like um, equally, in my opinion, as good as PJ Dozier at small forward on that bench unit next to Faku and Austin Rivers or or bones in that mix would be Jamichael Green or Jeff Green at small forward or bowl. If you played bowl, Jamichael Green and Jeff Green, you've got plenty of length. You've got plenty of defense. I don't see pushing PJ to the bench because the bench isn't necessarily going to be good anyway, just because PJ is there. That doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, now they're going to be a better offense. I mean, defensively, yeah, they'll be fine, but I think they would be fine either way. He can put the ball on the floor much better than Jermichael Green or Bowl Bowl can. You can't this play true. those guys at the three but if he's But if he's playing small forward, he's not doing that. He's basically a floor spacer and kind of an off-ball guy because he's playing small forward. He's not playing point guard. He's not even playing shooting guard. He's playing on the wing because you've got Baku on the floor. You've got... Monte on the floor. You've got Austin Rivers on the floor. Guys who, or even Bones, who are guys who are all going to be, you know, ball in hand guys. Uh, I mean, that's, I'm not opposed to your ab- your overall take, your big picture take of play your best lineup and then figure out the rest later. But with our roster, and obviously you've complained about this in the offseason, if instead of Austin Rivers, we just had like a regular backup actual size small forward like Torian Lance Stevenson Tony Snell yeah we'd be a lot better off but we don't so it's PJ Dozier could be Vlaco could no. be Jeff Green <laughs> no I it does it really does it is it, it could that be important? Jeff Green it could be Jeff Green could be both we haven't seen enough improvement from Najee that he's going to get consistent minutes he just makes too many mistakes still but I thought he was I mean so Dole what do you think is, is do you think one of those guys could fill in, or, or you kind of do you think PJ is the only guy for that spot? Well, I think if any if if they're playing anyone right now before like on that backup three, it's I think it's got to be Vladko because Zeke just looked terrible. He's turning the ball over like crazy, and it's just that's not like him. I don't know what if he didn't do anything this off season, or I mean I I don't know. I mean I hope not. I I hope he. Was working hard, but uh, you know, I, I just I, I didn't see it from it at all. I think Vladko would be the backup three if PJ ended up being starting, you know, point guard or the two or whatever, and you start well point guard, you know, vice versa. But I, uh, I, I think that that's a uh, you know Ray circling around back to the lineup, and I think that's an interesting lineup because you, I feel like you can get Bones straight like right away, right away for uh, um, you know PJ. And, and you can run bones with the starters. And he looked absolutely dominant with the starters when he did play. Um, you know, I I think you can even do uh, – I mean, I, I don't think that will happen. But, I mean, that would be just an interesting concept if they – You're talking about bones. Left him, like right away at the beginning or if bones they left him right at the end. as a starter. 
No, I bones think you're saying Bones is the first is the first, first sub, sub in your lineup. Get PJ in that backup three spot. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So they, I don't know, they, but that that would that would be something that I think would be interesting. Just a way to get more minutes with Bones and the starters. I mean, like I said, he looked really good with them. Uh, you know, when they played the Wolves. I mean, I I couldn't believe it. They were finding him left and right, and he's playing at a, at a I think a, a little bit higher IQ level of at least right now of Monte. I mean, Monte's had turnovers in it, which is very uncharacteristic of him. You know, I mean, he's been looking a little slow and a little off. I mean, then that's just to be, you know, that is what it is. I mean, he didn't have much of an off season. He had a little surgery and all of a sudden, all of a sudden you know, he's back, you know, so. Hey, Jared. I actually think, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe you guys remember, didn't he, didn't Malone run a lineup the other day where it was Faku, Rivers, and bones like wasn't bones playing the three at one point so maybe we're I like say actually, that came up a bit in the second quarter i don't know if that's really. realistic like maybe we're it's wasting not. our time but like maybe all of the guys will play and he just won't bench anybody because i still feel like he's going to give everybody a, a good enough chance before they get like bench benched i i don't believe in a small forward who's less than 195 pounds i agree but <laughs> Um, to, to speak to the, to like kind of your dream lineup at this point, Ray, I actually think the, the way bull was, or the way Dole was getting uh bones into the, as the first up, I think that's going to be how they, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how they get to the lineup you want to see early in the season is have Monte sub out for PJ as kind of your first sub. And then you see two, three minutes overlap of that while still maintaining the the starting lineup that makes the most sense for your roster balance yeah we'll see i mean i'm optimistic i I mean i i feel like i think that group will be on the floor i I, yeah i I I agree we've seen we've seen it in the preseason a couple times already to the point where i have to imagine that group will at least show up and i really think that i think malone is going to close games on field i think there's going to be games where either Monte isn't playing well, or if he just has such a tough matchup that it's just going to make more sense to have PJ be the fifth guy because to me, it's like, I love Monte, and he definitely deserves to start, and he's good enough to start. But to me, the drop-off in his offense to PJ's offense is not as drastic as the drop-off of PJ's defense to Monte's offense. Like, to me, when you have PJ in there with Will, MPJ, AG, and Jokic, that is just that's a pretty damn good two-way team. You it's know? elite on both ends. And and if Monte's not setting guys up and hitting a shot, he's usually getting killed on the other end. So it's going to be interesting to see how we close games the first half of the year before Jamal comes back. Yeah, Agreed. for sure. Uh, the one of the last maybe couple of things I wanted to touch on is, you know, COVID is still happening. NBA players are uh, still uh, negotiating this sort of dynamic. And, you know, we've seen a lot of, not debate, but contention over who's going to play and who's going to play where and how much and how often and and just navigating this whole thing. You know, and going into the season, we all talked a lot about Michael Porter as as sort of one of those guys that's uh, not really, I mean, a not being vaccinated and b you know how much that means but he seems to have like slipped 
into the background compared to some other guys across the league, uh, you know, certain guys on the Warriors, and in maybe in particular, the number one attention getter in all of this is Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, we talk a lot about trades, a lot about uh, drama to some extent. Do you, uh, Dole, do you feel like Kyrie is, A, do you think he's going to play this year? And B, if he doesn't, what do you see the fallout from that being? Man, it's, it's tough. I think, I, I, I don't think Kyrie is going to be a net by the end of the year. I think they're going to end up dealing him. I mean, uh, wow. I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that they're going to want a piece that's just going to be, you know, a major piece that's sitting on the bench and, you know, not being able to play. Because I, I don't think he will. Uh, you know, I don't think he will get his COVID shots or anything like that. I, I think he's a really strong-minded person. I mean, we've heard it from him before. He's voiced his opinion before. And, you know, he stands strong to what his beliefs are. And uh, I think that, unfortunately, you know, there's going to be a big misunderstanding between the two franchises or the two, the player in the franchise, and it's going to end up in a trade. And maybe they'll pick up someone like Beal or maybe they'll get, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities you can get out there, but uh, you know, I I don't think it's going to end well for uh, uh, the Nets, at least in this situation. You don't think so? You know, maybe like maybe a little Ben Ben Simmons. That would be an interesting trade, actually. It's kind of the best. I mean, for Philly, I think it's probably the best option. Yep, I think that would be a pretty sick if, team, assuming he plays. Yep. But, uh, I mean, of course, there's always that, op- that chance that maybe he doesn't. I mean, Kyrie is kind of enigmatic in, in the way he moves through the world. And obviously, he's been very set on playing for Brooklyn. And it's uh, hard to understand exactly, partly because he's not always the most uh, open and clear about his intentions and motivations and all those things. But you know, he, he's been very clear about wanting to play in Brooklyn, so maybe he doesn't. Uh, and I'm sure that's kind of the, sorry, maybe he doesn't want to play in Philly. And I'm sure that's the apprehension that they're going to have going into that kind of discussion. Um, so, Peter, do, do you, are you more on that camp that, that he's, so you're kind of shocked that Dole mentioned that he might be traded. Do you think he's just going to sit, that they would just let him sit? Or do you think he's going to kind of just play when he feels like it? <laughs> so you're asking me to get inside Kyrie's head and tell you what I think he's going to do. Well, I'm asking you to do the impossible. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Great question. Um, no. So I actually have two completely different takes on this subject. I have an on-court take and then an off-court take. So I want to start on the court where the Nets came out today and said, we don't want you playing in road games, even though you're allowed to. Uh, we just want you to stay home. And I thought that was an absolutely fascinating decision. And here's why. So what is the whole point of the sport? The whole point of the sport is to win the championship, right? We all agree on that. I think Uncle Drew said the game is all about buckets. The game's all about buckets? Oh, well, I guess I have something in common with him then. But uh, <laughs> no, so if you're if you're the Nets and you're trying to win the championship, and yes, yes. I get that there's plenty of, 
smart people out there that have said, oh, they're good enough to win it without Kyrie. I'm not even saying they're wrong. But here's what you have going on. You have three max players on your team. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. If all three guys are healthy, you're the title favorites, hands down. And even the Lakers would probably admit that. Maybe not. Maybe not. Problem, Absolutely. But. I mean, you can look at the batting odds. I think the lines are still, even now, like in the Nets. Right. Favor, so. And, and as awkward as it is to only play in road games, while I totally understand, and it even makes sense to me, like, oh, that's bad for chemistry. Like, it would be weird. Yes, I get that. But here's, here's the problem. Here's where I think the Nets are being short-sighted. If you let Kyrie come play in road games, you are at least showing him, one, that you care about him, two, that you want him to be a part of the team, and three, mm-hmm. that you have his back and you're sticking up for him, right? And it's like, if anything changes with the league or with the city, now everything's back to normal, you can play. Or with COVID. Right. If you, uh, And if you let him play, now you have three guys that are always going to be available for road games, assuming they're healthy, because what? guess what happens now? Now you tell them to go away. Now you're down to two. You're down to two no matter what. Kyrie's probably feeling some type of way right now. I don't know what the team has said to him. I don't know what KD and Harden have said to him, but Kyrie's probably not happy. He's still going to get his money, but he's like, I think he still wants to play basketball. So without even like getting into whether he should get the shot or not, it's like they could have let him play basketball. They're, they said no. He's going to be upset. Now, let's just say, uh, you know, if, Ky- if uh, KD or Harden go down, if they get hurt, well, guess what? Now you're down to one superstar because you told the other one to go away. And now your chances for the championship are pretty much kaput. So mm-hmm. looking at it from the end goal standpoint, I don't get why you would want to get rid of this guy now just because you think he's a distraction when you're not trying to win the championship in October. You're trying to get healthy for the playoffs. A lot can happen between now and April. It always does in the NBA. We always see that. So I think it's crazy to alienate him now. But, of course, I could be completely wrong about this. Maybe he'll just change his mind in two weeks, get the vaccine, and all is forgiven. So Maybe. That's just my take on, like, why would you be out on a guy when you don't have to be because you actually might need him. You know what I'm saying? Would you say he's a distraction right now? Uh, no, because they just told him to go away. Comparison. If he's playing in road games only, do you see him as a distraction? And compared to him just sitting at home, do you think he could still be a distraction even in that scenario? No, and I'm going to give you a half-baked analogy here. Okay. Brian Clark was a safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had sickle cell. Every time the Steelers played in Denver, he couldn't play. Nobody held it against him. Now... That was a medical condition. It wasn't like a choice. But mm-hmm. if Kyrie Irving is healthy to play basketball on the road and he can help you win games, I would want that. You know, and if the city of New York is not going to let him play games because of the vaccine and he doesn't want to get the vaccine and you're not going to make him take the vaccine, well, then whose fault is that, right? It's it To me, it's still somewhat both. So it's like, I don't know. I, I get why the Nets did what they did, but to me, it's also a little arrogant. It's a little bit like, well, we're good enough without you, so sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch their whole season because this could co- totally blow up in their face. Um, I mean, you saw Harden, like, popped his hammy in that playoff series. He's not getting any younger. So 
you know, only, and so, Durant, many, only so many step backs left, huh? Yeah. And I mean, Durant, you know, he had a long year last year. He got exhausted in that playoff series and then he played in the Olympics. So let's see how those guys look at the end of the season. Now for my second take on this, this whole, the whole like last year of Kyrie Irving and really his whole career has been absolutely fascinating because mm-hmm. he said some pretty wild shit. He's done a lot of things that have pissed people off. Yes. He's done a lot of crazy shit. And yet there's still a huge part of the world that respects him, loves him for standing up for what he believes in. Um, something that's gone under the radar is he's actually done a ton of charity work and done a lot of really good things in his community. And my hottest take is that I think Kyrie Irving's a genius. I don't actually think that. Wow. I don't actually think like he sh- he needs to be like, you know, being a professor in class or anything. I simply mean from this standpoint. I mean, let he, me explain he is what the I'm, professor what I'm to get here. If, if class is the basketball court. Let, let me when I when I actually say genius, here's what I mean. Okay. 2010, LeBron James, the decision, right? Beginning of the, do we agree that is like the beginning of the player empowerment era? So a lot of the old heads might say that's when everything started to go downhill, right? Well, the NBA has changed forever. It ain't going back. It's all about branding now. And who in the NBA is a stronger brand than Kyrie Irving? I mean, it doesn't matter, Ray, if you like him or if you hate him. You talk about him, right? You care about him. Kyrie All attention Irving is good attention. Whether you like him or you don't like him, you talk about him. Kyrie Irving is the Floyd Mayweather of the NBA. <laughs> uh, Dol, you tune you in. Like, is, is that... To watch him win or lose, you tune in. You tune in to Floyd and you tune in to Kyrie. And now you don't get to tune in because Kyrie is not there. But guess what? They were talking about on SportsCenter today. LeBron, Dame Lillard, nope, Kyrie Irving. How, how apt of a comparison is that to you, to you Dole? Man, I still think the you know the number one guy who, who they're always comparing to is I still think it's LeBron James, but yeah, I definitely think you know you don't even hear much about Kevin Durant, you don't hear much. You hear a little bit about Joel Embiid and whatever else, you know what's bugging him that day, I guess. And uh, but yeah, no, Kyrie Irving's right up there. I mean, he does try to do that for himself, make himself a brand, make himself known. And like I said, like I think he does that by being really strong with his beliefs, and you know he. He believes some if he believes in something you know he doesn't back down to it at all you know what i mean so yeah i mean i think that does earn a lot of respect from people i i, I mean I, um the as much as we kind of resent the sort of uh hot taking status of especially like in media circles today in terms of you know you look on twitter or you even look on espn or you know and you know tnt i think the the most the guys we want to see are the guys with the the steadfast, heartfelt beliefs. And I, I think that has some value for sure. I, I mean, it's something I'm definitely going to be thinking about comparing Kyrie to Floyd Mayweather because it's kind of, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's out of hand. I mean, it's a hot take, but I don't think it's out of hand entirely at all it, where he does, you know, the there is a method player. to Floyd's madness, right? Yeah. Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is like the opposite of Kyrie right. Irving, where they kind of came in the league at a similar time, but like one was like kind of outlandish and flashy, and one was just like doing things very quietly while no one was watching in Charlotte. And uh, 
doesn't really say too much, is a good leader. Uh, but who, I mean, how many people think a lot about Kemba Walker as, right. as, but everything I've heard is he's a great guy, great teammate. I agree. And, and how much, I mean, obviously Kyrie's the better player, but I think the gap in notoriety is much larger than the gap in their skill. Um, For sure. So, well, Kyrie's always been a master manipulator. I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things that's happened in the NBA this past decade was when Kyrie Irving forced his way out of Cleveland a year before LeBron's contract was up. LeBron was completely blindsided. He's like, wait a minute, I control everything. Kyrie, you can't do this to me. It, it was so funny. And I was just, I loved every minute of it. Well, I really, uh, I have a lot of, resp- that's, that's, that's an interesting take. It's something I'm going to, I'm going to think about it a lot. We'll, but we'll talk but next again, week. I, I, let me be clear. I love the drama side of the NBA. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think it's why the NBA is so much more fun than a lot of leagues is because uh, there's space for, I mean, obviously basketball is the sport, but in the same way that there's more to life than basketball, I think there's more fun to be had than just on the court or on the field or what have you. So I think... This this makes you know it makes it makes the league a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, especially yeah. especially right now we're talking about preseason. Uh, we're talking about games that don't matter and scores that don't necessarily matter and things we won't remember in six months. But we'll remember, we'll remember Kyrie. So and I will yeah. admit that it does get a little overboard. Like sometimes, like obviously you know, Adam talks about he hates shows like The Jump because it's not about basketball at all. Yeah, they 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 go a little far. But if we're being honest with ourselves, like Another one of the reasons that the Nuggets don't get talked about a lot in the national media sphere is not just because they play in Denver or because they don't have a super exciting player. It's because the team doesn't have many controversies, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the one time you saw the Nuggets talked about in the bubble is when (laughs) Michael Porter Jr. is like going on Snapchat, (laughs) making ridiculous statements. You know, Jamal Jamal Murray Murray had the whole Instagram fiasco. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's how you get talked about. So it's good that we're not dysfunctional, but... If you, if you want to be good, you got to be boring. A little bit more personality, I think, might might bring the Nuggets to the forefront. And I think Bones is also like, he'll, he'll yes. chip in on that front. I think uh, he's going to help the Q score go up a lot for the for the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of wrap up a little bit. But before we do, I uh, do you have any... I mean, obviously... We've kind of had a lot. I mean, obviously, you have a really some strong feelings about Kyrie Irving, but do you have any other, uh, you know, hot takes about about what's we're about to see in terms of the coming months? Uh, Lakers seven seed. Lakers seven seed. Interesting. Is this is this based? <laughs> this is this is what happens. Elaborate. When, well, they got Carmelo, who still hasn't met a shot he doesn't like and hasn't guarded anybody ever. Uh, Trevor Reza is now out for eight months. So the one of the few guys they did have who played defense isn't going to be there. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> fun to watch for sure. Like the Hindenburg. Um, you've never seen the Hindenburg? It burned. No. It's a, okay. It's, it's a, it's a blimp. It's like a dirigible, a very large air filled balloon. It catches on fire. It was explosive. It was dramatic. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, wow. I'll have to look into that. You'll have to. Uh, Dole, do you have any, do you have any just interesting feelings, some vibes, some, some, some really like heartfelt sensations coming to, Wolves coming playing forward? Team. Wolves are going to be a playing team this year. The Wolves are going to be a playing team. Yep. Wolves are going to be a playing team. I think they'll be a playing team and then they'll lose. I think they'll get to uh, the eight seed game and they'll lose. I like it. I could see it. I could definitely see it. I mean, I'm kind of. I don't want to say I'm high on the wolves because they're the wolves, but uh, I mean, they haven't really had their whole team healthy. I mean, and I know they're continuing to say that, and I'll, you know, I'm just repeating that. But Cat is not bad at basketball. You know, no, he's really uh, good. So you know, they've they've definitely got a shot, and I think a lot of the other teams in that kind of tier. You know, you're looking at like the Spurs, you're looking at Portland, that could kind of maybe even flame out you're looking at some uh teams that might not you know strive it's anybody's game for sure Dole, is there any surprise player or x factor on the wolves you see like making a huge jump this year or do you think it's more just like everybody that's young and they just all get a little bit better yeah no i i think they're young they are terrible defense um i think that'll get a little bit better this year i think um you know, they, they're still learning. I mean, I, I think Ant will get a little bit more consistent this year, and I think that's just going to be the key to everything. Um, as long as they're healthy, this is strictly as long as they're healthy. If they can stay healthy, they can string some wins together, and they'll, bare minimum, be, you know, a 10 seed. You know? mm-hmm. And I, I could see them getting hot right at the end of the year. They're, they are, uh, you know, fr- from what we saw from them, they seem to be a pretty resilient team. They didn't really give up against the Nuggets, especially when they were down 15. So that's just my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think they have a lot of talent. I mean, I think I saw the record was they were 13 and 11 last year when Russell, Cat, and Edwards were all healthy. Um, or maybe it was Beasley. But I mean, he's to me, he's like one of their top four players, too. So yeah, if those all, yeah. all those four guys are healthy, that's a, it's a solid roster. And the one They'll guy score I've always really liked is uh, Jalen Noel. I liked him back in college, even. And to me, if he's getting consistent minutes on that bench, like he's long, he's a pretty good athlete, and he's a pretty good shooter. I think he'd become a pretty good bench scorer for them. And that's kind of like one of the sneaky secrets about the NBA is like a lot of teams, in fact, most teams have a good starting five. The difference between the good and the bad teams is the bad teams' benches all stink. So if the Minnesota can have a better bench this year, that's going to be worth like five to ten more wins than what they had last year. Yeah, I can yeah, no, I agree. Uh, okay, I'll throw out mine. I feel that both these things are going to be true. The Heat, the Miami Heat, and the Chicago Bulls will be playoff teams above the play-in game. Ooh. Well, the Heat one isn't a hot take. The Bulls, man. I, so I think the Bulls would be my number one team for, like, highest variance. Like, I have no idea. Like, if you told me they're actually going to be the four seed, I guess that if everything goes right, they have enough talent for that. I have if breaking they, like, news. miss the playoffs, I also wouldn't be shocked. I have breaking news. Okay. So, Kyrie has informed the Nets that he plans to retire. <sighs> this just happened on Twitter. Oh, man. 
Well, I guess uh, you can burn the last 20 minutes of my <laughs> <I> take. <laughs> you know, hey, you uh, asked me to figure him out, and I, I at least I leave tried. it I in. Wrong. Leave it in. Leave it in. I think oh, it will okay. be. <laughs> well, I think I think that's it for us uh, at the Four Corners podcast. So much for uh, the Mayweather ankle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm your host, Ray. We will see what happens next in the Kyrie Irving saga because players have retired and unretired. It happens. Um, thank you. Many thanks to our guest, Big Dole, Logan. You know, always holding it down on Discord, always holding it down on Twitter. Is there somewhere we, we can find you or anything you want to shout out or, you know, say hi to your mom, anything like that? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 Thanks for cool. coming on, man. Appreciate Much it. Appreciate it was a lot of fun. Anything yeah, you want to yeah. plug? Any social media or anything? No, I'm good. You could gain at least 12 Twitter followers right here, right now. Hey, you'd have more than us if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, setting off, uh, Peter, Bucket since 88. Always great to have you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Of course, of course, of course. And always shout out to our uh, MVP, Jarrett. He is grinding really hard without audio right now, and we appreciate it. So, uh, everyone, have a good night. Nugget season is upon us. Let's have some fun. Peace.